Instructions for living passed down from white buffalo calf woman. Friend, do it this way. That is, whatever you do in life, do the very best you can with both your heart and mind. And if you do it that way, the power of the universe will come to your assistance if your heart and mind are in unity. When one sits in the hoop of the people, one must be responsible because all of creation is related and the hurt of one is the hurt of all and the honor of one is the honor of all. And whatever we do affects everything in the universe. If you do it that way, that is, if you truly join your heart and mind as one, whatever you ask for, that's the way it's going to be. The spiritual teacher Ram Dass stated, Most of us are so caught in righteousness, we're afraid of the truth. One way to identify a truth is when it's first presented, we don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable, we're triggered, and we squirm in our seats. So how do we be with discomfort in a way that helps us evolve our awareness? These moments of discomfort are a form of self-confrontation. They give us great pause. And what's needed now is a transformation to a relationship with disruption. When we are able to be with confrontation, whether it's getting called out or being agitated in some way, we can either use it as an excuse to shut down, run and hide, and be righteous, or we can use it as grist for the mill or the sandpaper that refines our listening, awareness, and wisdom. The uncomfortable moments often wake us up to a self-wisdom that may take decades to unfold, or to even recognize and be grateful for their gold. Today, you'll hear an unexpected conversation with my friend Ryan Lear on the ways he has used really confronting circumstances in his own life the death of a daughter, humility from falling off the pedestal, and the often humble journey of being a committed student. We'll explore transforming our relationship to confrontation. We'll look at the choice we have to turn everything into our teacher, people, experiences, and circumstances. We'll learn how these lessons are what shapes our human experience. Ryan Lear is a world-renowned yoga teacher and former professional basketball player hailing from Saskatchewan, Canada. Ryan believes that yoga can bring people together in a way that little else can, except perhaps music. You can often find him leading classes alongside bands like Arcade Fire and singer-songwriters like Xavier Rudd and Michael Franti. He has a way of making really challenging topics lighthearted. His teaching and this conversation are imbued with a playful big-heartedness. My sense is that if you are really listening to what we both have to share in this conversation, you'll leave with a new gratitude for the very things and situations that you've been resenting and resisting. You're listening to This Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Ali Nunzi. Welcome to a tender-hearted conversation with spiritual leaders and community innovators from around the world about understanding what shapes and drives people's way of being in the world every day by diving deep into their human experience, their behaviors, interactions, routines, rituals, beliefs, and perspectives. We believe once we understand people's human experience, empathy is created and true listening begins to happen. Through empathy and listening, tolerance is replaced with compassion, acceptance, and the understanding that everything belongs. Each of us belongs at the table. Your human experience belongs. My human experience belongs. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. I'm here with Ryan Lear. 
Canadian based yoga teacher. And when I was thinking about this conversation and how I would shape it, I was considering what I knew about Ryan. And I thought, well, it's, it's actually not much. <laughs> and though, uh, what I do know about Ryan is I, I do know your essence. And I was thinking about, okay, well, like, how did I even get connected with this person? And so I wanted to share with the listeners, um, you know, I don't know, it's like two years ago or something, I was at a, a yoga summit with Baron Baptiste and in walks his friend with a long red beard, which you guys can't see, I'm looking at it right now. And didn't really think anything of it. And then over the course of the weekend, we went to a coffee shop. You probably don't remember this. I remember. And he bought me a croissant. And I'm like, well, I obviously love this person. And um, Elton John's Tiny Dancer came on and we started singing it. And I'm like. I didn't remember that part. Whoa. And, and then I'm like, okay, this is a friend for life. The question that I like to ask the, the guests on this podcast is what shapes you? And I'm curious about the stories or the histories or the adversities or the gold that made you such a beloved person. Oh man. Thanks, Ali. Thanks for the kind words. And I'm honored to be here with you and it's so good to reconnect and I appreciate. Yeah. And it's funny because I've been going through, um, I don't always feel beloved. I feel like most people really, um, welcome me but then there's a lot of people who don't really love me so it's an interesting thing that I've been trying to sort through and I appreciate you saying a student and that I want to study because I used to be like um, a lot more like I'm a yoga teacher and base my life around being a yoga teacher and I really lost my humility and my roots in doing the daily work of making myself more peaceful and more tolerant, more calm um, and grounded. And I got on the, the little circuit or the merry-go-round of like traveling yoga teacher and just kind of like got caught in the excitement. And thank God I've been able to meet such brilliant, amazing people through it, but I've also recently come back to my own daily practice. Um, so, yeah, and let's get into those stories of what shaped me. It's I'm born and raised here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Treaty Six territory. I grew up into hockey. Everybody in Canada loves hockey, and then I got into basketball, and I feel like basketball opened me up to the bigger world of like I met some American guys who came here and mentored me when they were playing in the minor leagues. And it took me to be able to go up north and down to the northern states and play in some indigenous basketball tournaments. And that's what I, you guys can't see me out there. Maybe you can if you're super advanced yogis, but I got my jacket from a memorial tournament that one of the kids I trained how to teach yoga gave me. Um, but I, so I got to know I got to get into some of the, you know, out of the little small mindedness of a small town. And I got to get into a, a bigger world through basketball. It allowed me to travel and to meet different people from different cultures and, and to realize like that we're not so different, like at our core. So yeah, I don't know. And then I took a lot of religious studies classes I was studying to be a teacher and then I got into like philosophy and um, spirituality and I feel like those university courses opened me up to be able to see yoga as something I love the physicality of it and I do the asana the postures every day most days I don't I haven't missed a day for a while thankfully I've been back into my discipline but I also realize it's not the, about the poses there's this, um, um, what do you call it? Like a meme, a little picture, and it says, it's a giant iceberg, and then above the surface is the tip of the iceberg. It says, this is awesome, not just the tip of the iceberg. 
But I also agree in a way with what Mr. Ayengar says that if you get the asana right, all the other stuff, like it's all, re- it's all related. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I drank lots of coffee this morning. I hope I'm not too <laughs> all over the place for you all. No, it's so good. So Ryan, when you had mentioned that, you, you know, I hold you as a beloved teacher and you had said something along the lines of, um, being both loved. And I don't know that you use the word hated, but it's some people <laughs> might not feel that way. It's something over my 20 years of teaching and 12 years of owning a studio leading yoga communities. Um, I've experienced for myself. And so through many conversations with many folks, I have learned that that's the one thing or the primary thing that seems to hold people back is that if I share my voice or my teaching or the thing that I am for, then the right people will be drawn in. And it also, then you're opening yourself up to criticism. So it's an interesting um, phenomena, really. And I was curious if you wanted to share anything about that. Yeah, I'll share something about that if you want me to. I attach too much of my self-worth often on what people think of me and whether they like me or don't like me and how if they were happy after a conversation or class or and what I've come down to in my own way to deal with a lot losing a lot of people who I thought I would never lose in terms of friendships is I can only control who I'm being in each moment. And I kind of came to a realization that I can love people and be human and make mistakes. And, but I can control whether I love people or not. And I don't need to get it back like I used to. Mm. So going through a little bit of these struggles with losing people and friendships, it's, given me some perspective on the power that I do have to to love and not to necessarily be dependent on it being returned or get anything back from it. And that's like an ideal state because I do often am affected if it's almost like this is a example, but so say you hold the door open for someone and they don't say thank you. In Canada, everybody says, sorry, thank you. But (laughs) so somebody doesn't say thank you. I'm trying to work on myself. So I'm just holding the door open because it's the right thing to do. And that's it. And then whether they wanted me to or not, like hopefully I'm sensitive to be able to tell if somebody wants a hand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I am also... I've been a leader of a yoga community for a while. So a lot of people who don't love me as much as they did had me on a pedestal and I'm so human. And so I feel like it was the only way is to come off the pedestal. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Yeah, that lands, you know, and it's happened to teachers that I love and revere. And then they're out there showing their humanity and the crowds throwing daggers, you know, and it's like, it's been this laughable in the, like the arc of my studentship and my learning through yoga is to constantly take people off of their pedestal and quickly for me to climb down off of mine also, you know? Um, And I love what you were sharing. So there's lots of non-yoga or they wouldn't consider themselves yoga people that are listeners of this podcast. So, you know, if that's you and you're at home and you're listening, I want you to listen beyond the word yoga, because that can be blocking to some people. And I want you to, to listen from the space of curiosity of what Ryan's speaking to and these daily practices of whether you would have it as introspection. Someone offered me just in the past couple days that it's a privilege that I'm privileged because I live an introspective life. And that's something I never considered before. And it's true, right? Mm -hmm. Most folks around the world, I'm I'm lucky to live in the U.S. um, 
some days. And, um, and it does afford me the privilege to read books, to go to classes and courses and, and have a yearning to better myself. I'm not constantly living in survival. So, you know, it pissed me off when the person said it. And then I sat with it for a second and it really caught, it was a cause um, for reflection for me. And something that you mentioned is that, um, you know, your studentship and what is that for you? Good question. You know, I'm just following where my heart is going. And as you talked about, um, the non-yogis. Okay, so yeah, a lot of the yoga community anyway is not even doing yoga. So that let's get that out of the way. Um, but you know, when you and I connected at a Baptiste thing and Baron Baptiste is one of our teachers and he influenced me in such a profound way. And there was one point I had proclaimed that I wanted to really bring yoga to the world and be a, a a stand for for true yoga and for yoga teaching and practice and um we were doing a really difficult class and partway through the standing for split forward bend i just stopped and got a drink of water and it's like your friend who gave you the feedback about being privileged that you didn't want to hear so baron called me out in class he's like what are you doing like the pose was just starting to work and you just let you quit and you're telling me and this whole group that you want to be a leader and so i i being in my ego a lot more at 27 than at 85 which i am not not <laughs> it um but i ask kids how old they think i am and with my epic long beard and i'm not saying it that but my beard's really long they're like 85 um <laughs> so um i was really pissed with baron i was like how could he call me out in front of the group but it was like he was giving me the truth that i needed to hear i try to have mentors and guides who are going to be real with me and not just be telling me what i want to hear and sometimes giving me practices and work that isn't always the most comfortable Mm. you know so yeah. I like I keep my studentship. I study with Srivatsa Ramaswamy. I study with Baron. I study with Nikki Doan and Eddie Modestini, um, with Father Joe Pereira. And I study the sacred books, but not just yoga books, but Christian books, Islamic books, Buddhist books. I study the way that the samurai lived. I study the way the yogis lived. I study what Jesus taught, and it might be yeah i feel like i if you all need a movie recommend it's a very dangerous recommend because people either love it or hate it but there's this movie ghost dog about this forest whitaker lives in the by the samurai code in modern day new york and it's why am i saying that i guess i just want you all to watch that movie but um It's like in that movie, there's a quote from the Hagakuri, the book that they live by, a lot of the samurai or a samurai book. And it says, if you found a way, every way you hear will be more in accord with your own. So it's like almost like I try to be able to learn from all of from my daughters, from my yoga students, from my teachers, from the tree out there, from the nature so i'm really working on humility and being a student and mr angar at one point had been teaching for 70 years and he said i'm a junior teacher but a senior learner and that's why i can teach you and then i saw that dude on his mat two and a half hours a day at 94 Mm -hmm. years old still exploring and then going in was so cool he would hold like Kapotasana, this giant backbend, like an insane backbend for even a kid. Like my daughter's a gymnast dancer back in the day, and it, it was tough for her. He's 94 years old, sitting in it for 45 minutes on a chair. It was unbelievable. 
We'll be right back to the second part of this episode. Our second daughter and this podcast are not the only things I've been birthing. I want to tell you about the official launch of the Nunzi Consulting Group. I am personally out to prove that you can grow your bottom line by building happy, productive, high-performing teams. You have to care about your people if you want to be a leader in your industry. I'm bringing forward all of my failures, the lessons and golden nuggets from my experience in creating my own small businesses, running nonprofits, and facilitating people development trainings so that you can scale your impact in the ever-changing modern world. If you've got a calling to start a business and don't know where to begin, if you own a business or organization and you're interested in innovating any aspect of it, from profitability to productivity, if you're yearning to be a part of a supportive network of thought leaders in various industries that will elevate your purpose, connect with us via nunziconsulting.com. Let's work together and show the world that we can disrupt business as usual and that you can actually enjoy your work and make a difference at the very same time. You're listening to This Human Experience with Ali Nunzi. Now enjoy the second half of our episode. What I want to talk about or what I hear that there is to talk about, Ryan, is this whole notion around teachers and one of our intersecting, the things that we have in common is that Baron Baptiste is one of our teachers. For those of you listening, Baron is a, a yoga teacher. He's, um, I don't think he would say this about himself, but I would say, you know, he's one of the um, primary people in the modern world that brought yoga to the West in the way that we know it currently. And you, you shared that story. And it's a story that I have experienced too. Like I just remember being in a yoga room and him saying stuff to me or us being in conversation. And in the moment, I my command statement or what I say to myself is fuck off, buddy, you know, or like fuck you. I'm and I'm out of here. And there's this threshold that happens. And he he did, he's taught me this so repeatedly, is that if you hear that, stay. And I've learned to do that in so many areas of my life. And because I've had that practice, so thank you, Baron, for, for teaching me that. There's so much love and freedom that comes on the other side of whether it be a conversation or a statement that's jarring and piercing and, you know, you want to like burn it all down in, a, in an instant. And when I think about the world and I think about the state of the world, and I think about what do people need to know? I would say that's certainly one of them because in the, we've got social media, we've got um, here in the US, we're experiencing one of the largest social justice revolutions that we ever have. Um, we are experiencing a clash of politics, a clash of what do we do in the face of a pandemic. And I think about that often is what does it look like to stay? Um, and, you know, I read a New York Times article this morning that said, um, instead of calling people out, we should call them in. And my yoga practice has taught me that repeatedly. Now, there's a distinction that I want to make here, you alluded to it earlier, is that most people that are practicing yoga right now are not actually practicing yoga. They don't, they don't know <laughs> um, the depth or what it could really bring to bringing their yoga off of their, their mat. You know, it looks just like twisting up like a pretzel or whatever. I don't know how many billions of times I've had that conversation of it's not yoga if it's not changing your life off of the yoga mat in the conversations that you have, but there's this notion of letting events or conversations or adversities, and especially the people 
be our teacher. And that's been so revolutionary in my own life, especially with people that have challenged me, um, especially the people that don't like me or that I have wanted to please or like, um, you know, whatever. They've got some kind of stance or, you know, in a world where we're trying to educate ourselves to be better and it's not working or in a world where, you know, for me, uh, I, I don't. I probably still do this if I'm being honest with myself. I will hold myself back from saying something or taking a certain action because I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. And so I do nothing. And, um, you know, knowing that an imperfect action is better than no action at all. So uh, if you're listening at home and you're like, why am I listening to these two yoga teachers? talk, these two white people talk about how to, you know, what there is to do, you know, that's really it is. And it's one of the intentions of this podcast is earth is a one room schoolhouse and we're given people, we're given each other to be one another's teachers. And so I'm curious of those moments that you've had are more of those moments that have forced you to to shift or to listen more or to change your thinking you know what i consider is there's people at home and they don't even know that introspection or they don't even know they're just like man that guy's just a jerk <laughs> or whatever um you know or you know i can't i disagree with something that that person put on instagram or something who do we you know in your words or what do you see of what is a practice that people could take on to acknowledge and honor the teacher of the moment like in the moment really and not run out of the room or call people you know that the whole notion of cancel culture that's a great question, Allie. I, I wish I had the answer. <laughs> and I'll try to riff on it. I have a really sweet yoga teacher, and we were talking about relationships, and he was telling me about a course he was taking and a study that he did. But he said the key to a healthy relationship, to the strongest relationships, is kindness. And it sounds so simple, but I feel like there's something to it, like kindness. Remember to be kind, always be kind. And not that I practice it all the time, and I'm trying to. Like, you know, the real high yogis like the Buddha are unconditionally forgiving. You know, Jesus would actually love his enemies, not just his friends. We have enough trouble loving our families, you know? Like... <sighs> I don't know, Allie. I wish I knew. And I'll tell you one story because I know there's a lot of people out, out there tuning in. Hi, everybody um, <laughs> that um, don't practice yoga. And so I went through this hardcore yoga thing where I wanted to be a yogi. And I became a little bit rigid. And one of my teachers said, I don't hang out with many yogis because they're the most judgmental, rigid people I've seen. And so... Um, he had said that I'm still doing my daily hour and a half sweaty practice, making sure I do my 10 minute headstand, 10 minute shoulder stand, like trying to be a disciplined yogi. Okay. But very extreme. I became an extremist and I'll never forget when Baron said one time, cause someone was giving him a hard time about vegetarianism. He said, well, listen, Hitler was a vegetarian and sometimes Gandhi went through periods where he ate meat or experimented with that experiments with truth. So anyway, but there's this moment where I'm trying so hard to be a yogi and ooh, it makes me emotional thinking about because I have such a deep love for my daughter, Kaya, who is now a yoga teacher and which is such a dream come true. It's so cool. And she, um, was at a gymnastics competition. She's probably seven years old, maybe eight. And I'm not really into the competition part of gymnastics and the show. Like I love like showmanship and stuff, but I just wasn't into the competition. These little seven, eight year olds, like it was intense what they were doing. And I wasn't super supportive of it, but I'm still like 
have her in gymnastics. And so I remember rolling out my yoga mat and trying to be a good yogi. And thank God I had this flash and it's like, what the f- are you doing, man? Like, go, your daughter is at a gymnastics competition. And so I didn't do my yoga practice, but I actually went more towards the flow of yoga, which is like tolerance and peace and, and love and kindness and responsibility and discipline. And I'm a dad and my job is to make my daughter like is to serve her and to be one of my teachers gave me very intense feedback. He said, make yourself worthy of that little angel because she mm-hmm. is and she's and so God, I like I sped to the gymnastics competition and I got in the door and when I walked in through the crowd and I saw her face and I saw the the smile and how much she appreciated me being there and the 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 light in her eyes I like to me that's what I need to do more of is not be so worried about the posing but actually being a, a responsible loving man and a dad and the Buddha said, to strain the crooked, you must do a much more difficult thing, straighten yourself first. So like, mm. it's easy for me to preach love and kindness, but it's not always as easy to practice, you know, but I'm working. So great. <laughs> I love the the relationship that you share with your daughter and um, and how you, you know, you're, you're pretty public about that, sharing your affection for her and your... Um, just experience in being a dad. And um, even before we started recording, you were telling us a funny story about, um, you know, her making you a smoothie. And and even that, letting your daughter be your teacher. Um, it's so, it, the word that I want to say is it's critical. It's critical that we do that. And another, I love language. So another word that I love and use often is this word benevolence which is a fairly mm-hmm. underpracticed here in the, I don't know. I live in the Northeast, the Northeastern United States. So benevolence is not a commonly practiced thing. It's not a quality that is, is common, but it is the, this kindness to your, to your brother, you know, and how we get, which is funny because I live right outside of Philadelphia, which literally means <laughs> the city of brotherly love. and you know, what the world needs now is more benevolence. It's more kindness. And the projection of that, I think of, you know, when I, it, it, not yogis, being judgmental is I think that people, myself, I learn, you know, you learn what drives people. And when people act out of, you know, in, they're projecting anger or disdain for something, usually what comes out in the wash is that they've got that for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the communities that I work with and the folks that I serve, there's, you know, like there, but it's, it's, you know, I say that, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's when you can see how people are suffering it's typically because they're not offering that benevolence, that kindness to themselves. Or I find myself in some social circles that want to work towards social justice, want to work towards social healing. And they're so busy talking shit on people that they feel are not doing the right thing or the morally correct thing. And for a long time, that was me like pointing out which what I really believe was morally correct or incorrect or right or wrong. And now <laughs> through my practice, and, and when I say practice, it's like there's yoga practice, but I'm really talking about the way that I interact with people is when I, and, and Suzanne Conrad, one of our other teachers, and she was, um, she was on this podcast on episode two of this podcast. One thing that I recall from that conversation is she said, what we judge 
we become. And that's not a new concept for me, but for whatever reason, maybe the wind blew and I just needed to hear it. It was like, oh, it hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, and, and there it is. You know, so being in the consistent practice, the contemplative practice of listening, pausing, when you're triggered, when you're ruffled by literally anything, like your daughter left you a quarter of a smoothie in the refrigerator or, <laughs> you know, whatever, like m- my husband didn't take the trash out this morning, like any simple thing to someone's really saying something or doing or acting in, an, in, a, in a way that in an oppressive way or whatever, you know, it's not this, I want to talk about this too, is there's this thing that's happening in the world of yoga in the, the I'm going to just say the word, the industry of yoga, where there's lots of spiritual bypassing. You hear about it, you know, social media is riddled with people calling people out on it. And, you know, but to me, always yoga has actually been this thing that has allowed me to confront what challenges me and what's challenging our collective humanity. And I think that's, you know, what I hear when you say there's a lot of people doing yoga, but they're not actually doing yoga. Um, Or, you know, it's like, show me somebody with a pretty yoga practice, you know, and more than likely they've got an ugly life, you know? So um, yeah, it's just, it's that it's, How do we let the people that challenge us be our teachers? And and I don't know, I fail at it all of the time. But there's this concept of what does it mean to be someone's teacher? And I love that you shared what Iyengar said. He's just, he's a a senior, what did you say, learner or something? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, if you're listening at home and you don't know who we're talking about, because Iyengar is regarded as the grandfather of what we know yoga to be here in the West and someone that's, Ryan, you've studied with him directly, yeah? Yeah, thankfully, Mm -hmm. right near the end of his life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and whatever it is that you follow. So like one of the undertones of many of these conversations is the spiritual dynamics in which we live together and how we live together. And though what's underneath that underneath those and underpinnings are these, it is a spiritual truth because we are spirit. We are, you know, there's no denying that as a human being, we're more than flesh and bones. And to look at that, with curiosity. And I have these conversations. Um, I'm would consider myself a Christian woman. And um, I've got a sister who's a very devout, conservative, converted Jew. I have many very dear friends that are very devout uh, Muslim men and women. And I remember being in a conversation with one of my friends who is Muslim. And we were just like talking for hours about religion and spirituality and just we were like giddy with the fact of like we're we're just we're explaining the spiritual heart we're explaining the same thing and um whether it's muhammad or jesus or buddha or moses or, these people are teachers they were teachers and they continue to teach us and so I would encourage anyone listening, get yourself a teacher, you know, and, um, and, and at the same time, let everything around you be your teacher. As you said, the tree outside your daughter, the students in your yoga class, um, you know, the person that cut you off in traffic. Yeah, Allie, I agree with that. Um, letting everyone be your teacher. And I also, you know, Baron said it over and over to, to the trainings I've been at. He says, I'm not a guru. Like I'm just a, a guy and, but he's dedicated so much of his path of life to these teachings. And I love you bringing in Muhammad and, and Jesus and, 
these spiritual teachers whose teachings continue to to flow through through humanity you know thank you for for bringing this idea of having teachers to the these people out there because it's 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 there's people who have been on this path and who have who paved the way so we don't necessarily have to reinvent everything it's like i have a teacher nikki don she said yoga is compressed evolution so there are things that through and i'm i'm using the word yoga maybe it could be love but she said yoga is compressed evolution so stuff that would take us years to move through like we can get to the truth of them immediately and i look at having a teacher as being a key in that a guide who can shine light or who can not not be the light but light our light you know what i mean or mm. remind us who we are yeah what's coming to mind for me right now is uh one of my primary teachers he passed away actually right after christmas last year ramdas and you know the the famous quote of ramdas is we're all just walking each other home hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also, he's got another teaching too um, that I reflect on off, often is suffering is grace, which is a really hard pill to swallow because, you know, all the things that we do, like people even use yoga as a means to check out or drinking or drugs or shopping or sex or fill in the blank. Um, with your flavor of whatever you choose to numb yourself out with. Um, But there is this, on the the arc of our lives, there are these pivotal moments, you know, and it's why I ask folks that come onto this podcast, you know, what shaped you? And normally you don't hear, I don't hear like, uh, you know, everything went pretty swimmingly. My life was hunky-dory, and now here I am, go me. That these people like yourself, Ryan, who live um, in ways that are pretty inspirational, aspirational, that there are moments or many, many, many moments that we can use those adversity, uh, Ram Dass would say, as grist for the mill. You know, Hmm. that that's like sandpaper buffing us into what we ought to be. And so are there moments, Ryan, that you can reflect on or just, you know, whatever you see right here that have have shaped you into that learning? Yeah, because I think like you mentioned getting, being on the pedestal, right? And I think when folks can see, well, hey, that guy's like a pretty famous yoga teacher or, um, you know, whatever or own studios or they can hold you in a certain way. And what they don't see is all the adversity that made you the strong person that they're interacting with. Yeah. Ali, thanks for bringing that um, to the, the moment, you know, when you said suffering is grace and Ram does such a beautiful, so many beautiful teachings and, he used the term fierce grace or it was the documentary title for mm-hmm. one of his things. And, you know, immediately I thought of, and part of the reason I really connected with you is just the simple thing of glory and grace. And I have a second daughter. So when people ask me about my children, do you have any kids? I would often say I have a daughter because I lost my second girl. Um, and her name is Thora Grace. And so now I tell people I have one here dancing and then one who dances in the sky. And she left her body soon after she was born in, in, on July 19th in 2013. And the suffering from that was almost insurmountable. Like I had a complete nervous breakdown, well, like a psychotic episode. I don't know what you would call it. It was intense, and my family, thank God, and my 
ex-girlfriend who's like one now my best friend basically and my daughter they all kept me from I was into like really dark depression and suicidal ideation and it was heavy and it wasn't the first time I'd struggled with mental health things and without the daily practice of yoga I would probably be in a lot darker place and it's not to say I don't have my dark days, but most days I'm so grateful to be on this planet and to to be here and, and breathing, like which is great. Most days I am. And that wasn't the majority after after some of the struggles I've gone through and you know that immense suffering of losing a child is also so there are moments of grace where I feel connected to her that I, in a way that is beyond the physical. And, you know, as I was struggling through the first year of, I was good for nine months after she left. And then at about that point I broke. And one of my teachers, Srivatsa Ramaswamy, he's brilliant. He Iyengar's teacher is Krishnamacharya, and Krishnamacharya taught this man, Ramaswamy, for 33 years, and he's become such a beautiful teacher for me. And and they share the same birthday, actually, which is really cool. And he sent me a message, and he said, as hard as this is to read, the soul is immortal. So, like, you don't really need to worry about her. Just, keep like, worry about your family and worry about, not worry about, but it's like she's okay now let's get you okay mm. like and then he you know and and so now i'm coming back to having a teacher in this struggle so when i'm going through these struggles i reach out to my teachers you know midway through covid i was going through some depression so i sent ramaswamy a message and he gave me stuff to do to bring more light and chanting and sun salutations to bring more light to my life very simple things but time proven things um yeah so thanks for letting me think of thora it's like um it's it's, she she was such she is such a blessing it's very difficult though to experience that loss sometimes yeah (laughs) well you know i thank you for sharing that and there are so many people that will listen to this conversation that are have experienced loss and grief and probably are still coping with grief and and that you know, not to uh to uh really belabor the ramdas point but um you know and in, in his final days he did a short documentary that i think you could still watch it on netflix but in that he mm-hmm. says um you know death is just like taking off too tight of a shoe And I think of the suffering that we experience in our individual lives, our inner life, whether it be through death of a loved one or the loss of a job or, you know, fill in the blank with your whatever you're grieving that you've lost. I believe it's because we don't understand and we really grapple with and we being in just collective humanity, like we want to have it all make sense. And none of this shit makes sense. Hmm. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense why an infant would die, you know, or we want to reconcile with that. And we, um, why would God send us a pandemic? He or she must not exist. Hmm. <laughs> or, um, you know, not making light of that, but I really do feel, um, that our inability to be spiritually imaginative in that way or curious keeps us on that wheel of suffering. And it's not, um, you're not saying, I'm not minimizing anyone's experience. I'm not saying that you've gotten off the wheel of grief. You know, grief is a never ending process. Although I really do believe that we can let the light in, that we can remember that there is something bigger of which our tiny mm-hmm. human brains cannot even, we can't even process. 
you know, and, um, for that and, and, and my teachers, I'm, I'm grateful. And I was at that same location where I met you in Ojai Valley, California, when the pandemic hit in the U S and Washington state. And, um, and I, I mentioned this in my episode with Suzanne, cause she was there with me. I came home and, and closed the studios and thought, okay, well, two weeks, you could do that. You can pivot, you can do anything. And then two weeks turned into a month, two months, six months, eight months. And, you know, we're still here and we're still here is my point. And that these things, whether it be circumstances, you know, life events or, um, whatever it is, just fill in the blank. We got, you know, there's a whole laundry list that we can lift above it, not bypass it, but move through it to support really the greater whole. And, you know, what comes to mind is um, I have a mural in our one studio um, from Baron. So, hey, Baron, we shout you out a lot in this episode Um, that it's, you know, regardless of circumstance is how it starts out. And I feel like that's the, the most important part of, of that whole statement that he makes. It's like, regardless of circumstance, if you're a yes for something, we can create that the energy of yes, in, in on a paraphrasing, and and move into what there is to move into. And the thing that trips a lot of people up is regardless of circumstance. So they'll say things to me in trainings I've led or dear friends that have conversations going through hard times. It's always like, yeah, but this is why this sucks and I'll never get out of it. Yeah, but I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. And I think about those words. Uh, one of my friends, Elise, is a beautiful, her calligraphy is beautiful. Um, and it's written like a mural in our one studio. And I just go back to regardless of circumstance. And it, it's just like the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? Like to be unconditional about your practice, to be unconditional about your, your love, your state of being, what you're dedicated to, what you're committed to. You know, as Baron would say, what is it that you're yes for? Um, is what propels our life forward. And we can use those circumstances as our teacher. Yeah, word up, Allie. I have been in conversations recently, and, you know, it's interesting, something to echo what you said. I In university, this kid said, oh, the things that you see in other people are actually you. Like, that's why you see them. And I'm like, no way, dude. So taking that on. But so, yeah, this idea of these high teachers and unconditional love and it was unconditional truth and i don't know ali i feel like we've got so much work to do up here in canada where it's like the indigenous people are still kind of like silenced and forgotten and there's all this work to do and it's like where's the people standing up for black lives matter two years ago before it became fashionable to do on instagram Mm-hmm. Or for in, I'm still waiting for people to really stand up for Indigenous people, and it was cool to see, um, like different sports teams now changing their names, and there's just so much work that needs to be done that is is conditional. Like, oh, the timing is it's not the right timing, or it's not the I don't know. I, I I feel hopeful, like with the this shift is happening, but I also feel like we need to keep working. And like one of the, I love the mystic 13th century poet, well, mystic man Rumi, and he says, submit to a daily practice. Your loyalty to that is a knock on the door. Keep knocking and the joy inside will eventually look out to see who's there. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just want to encourage people to find 
a daily practice with whatever it is, if it's singing or dancing or getting in nature or praying or doing, I don't know about Pilates. No, I'm just joking. You know, Pilates <laughs> or yoga or, but finding something that can connect you to the present moment and in the present moment, all things are possible. Like in the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, one of my teachers gave us that trans translation and it's like Baron teaches us a lot about possibility and I feel like a lot of times in my life I've given up but if I have a daily practice to connect me to the present moment I start to realize oh my god I can help to co-create and shape this thing like friend this is from White Buffalo Calf Woman I'll, I'll read it to you I've got it in my phone Friend, do it that way. That is, whatever you do in life, do the very best you can with both your heart and your mind. And if you do it that way, the power of the universe will come to your assistance if your heart and mind are in unity. When one sits in the hoop of the people, one must be responsible because all of creation is related. And the hurt of one is the hurt of all. And the honor of one is the honor of all. And whatever we do affects everything in the universe. If you do it that way, that is, if you truly join your heart and mind as one, whatever you're going to ask for, that's the way it's going to be. Ugh. That. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Ryan, I, I feel um, such a kinship with you and we've really I think we've only ever really been in person maybe one time and and you know you're you're the work that you do um or the revere that you hold I wanted to the work that you do because that's you know makes you seem like you're some kind of white savior or something um but the way in which you revere the indigenous population in Canada and, you know, when you said that, I, what came to mind for me is how everybody put up a black square after George Floyd died or was murdered. And while, okay, that's, thank you for your stance of solidarity. You know, I think of Martin Luther King, you know, the, the arc of justice is long, or, you know, the, the arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice he did so much for the civil rights movement and never saw the fruit of it. And I think one thing that we get challenged by, and we, again, being just the collective culture, is we want to see immediate rectification. We want to see immediate response. We want to see immediate change. And while inherently those things are good, what I got out of your reading just now is we just have to keep knocking at the door. We just have to move the needle forward, even if it's by a hair. But that we're responsible to do that, every single one of us. And if we want a world that in 50, 100, 500 years from now is different, we may never see that. And doesn't let us off the hook. You know, I think of um, my my dad's grandmother is was an indigenous woman. She was um, from the, a Cherokee tribe in North Carolina, and for a long time, our family held that as like you know, like oh, we're Native American, yay, go us, right? And um, like it was something special about us. And now in my, in my studies and in my learning, and, um, there's a great woman, a friend that a mutual friend that we have, Ryan Kate, um, Jenkins, who, who trains indigenous folks, um, in yoga. But I remember having a conversation with her and it's, and it, it was a pivotal moment for me to understand. And I'm white because she was forced to marry a white guy. <laughs> and and so there's so much in our history that exists that we, we can't go back and change it. And we can sit around and stew about it. 
or we could create a new kind of future. We have to keep knocking at the door. We have to keep seeing what we haven't been seeing about the past, and we have to keep moving the needle forward. I love that attitude, and I'm with you on that, girl. And it's nice to hear Kate Jenkins' name come into this combo. She's a she's a brilliant woman. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share your heart with us. I uh, will look forward to where you buy me croissants in the future. Oh man, <laughs> it's so great to reconnect with you and to 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 jam for for it's a short period of time. But thank you for for having me and taking the time to spend with me. It's really great to hear hear you and what yeah. you're up to. I, I, you inspire me. Well, back at you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode and being a part of this important conversation. I hope it has you spreading more compassion, acceptance, and understanding throughout your community. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit the subscribe button, write us a review, or share it with a friend, and connect with me on Instagram at Ali Nunzi. Share what you learned and loved about this episode on your social media accounts and tag me. New episodes drop every other Wednesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.